as the band takes a seat here too. Um, as Phil said, that after a very busy summer, Pastor Bob is taking some much needed vacation time, and he asked if I would be willing to give the message this morning. Um, now, truth be told, this is a pretty historic moment here at Christ Church because it is not only the first time in my over six years of being here at Christ Church that I'll be delivering the message on a Sunday morning, but it is, in fact, the first time I'm ever giving a Sunday morning message. So, bear with me. And fear not, though, I do speak weekly to our students at Impact, um, and just as pa- Pastor has been leading us through our passionate summer series, teaching is one of the things that I'm very passionate about. In fact, in Impact, one of our, our, our vision statement for what we do is to move from knowledge to belief to passion. And really what that means is moving from hearing the word to believing it, and then to acting upon it. It's the passion part that gets difficult, though. Not just for students, it's the passion part that gets difficult for all of us. But it's passion that we're called to. How do you know if you're passionate? Well, I think someone that's passionate can't help but speak. They can't help but proclaim what they know to be true. You've met these people, I imagine. They're people who I think have moved from being a spectator to being a participant. They can't help but speak to what they know. There's a family here at church, and I I asked Nathan Miske for permission to rat out his dad a little bit. (laughs) When Nathan will watch football with his dad, he struggles with this because his dad has it on the DVR, and he will pause it and rewind it and go, Oh, Nathan, did you see that play? Okay, so it worked because that guy was where he was supposed to be. Did you see how the block opened up and the guy shot right through? And Nathan's going, Oh, yeah, Dad, I saw it. Can we just watch the game? He's passionate about the game. He coaches football. He's passionate about it. Imagine we've all had that experience, whether it's at a water cooler or someone else, somewhere else, and somebody pulls out their wallet, and all of a sudden all the wallet-sized pictures of their whole extended family, children, grandchildren, and they just go on and talking about what every one of them's doing, where they all are. They're passionate about their family. I've got some pictures of some people that are passionate, and I want to see if you can guess. This is half of the picture before the other half is revealed, any thoughts, feel free to shout out, these passionate people, where might these people be at? Any guesses? All right, let's see the other half of the picture. Political rally. These people are at a political rally. All right, next one. This one is very contemporary. Yeah, let's see the other half. There we go. There's a British cyclist that won gold. All right, our next picture. Thoughts? I heard Lincoln Brewster, that's funny. Actually, that's Bono, even better. <laughs> When's Christ Church getting Bono? That's what I want to know. <laughs> all right, how about this one? This is my favorite picture of all. <laughs> all right, let's see the rest of it. Star Trek invention! <laughs> Those are passionate people. <laughs> I love the guy in the bottom left there. You see underneath Spock's arm, a little cling on there. He's just got the goofy smile. That's a passionate man. <laughs> all right, our next picture. Oh, yeah. There we go. Lambo Leap. Some passionate people, right? Our last one. Where are these guys at? Church. Let's see the rest of it. There we go. Passionate people. The sad thing is, though, I think that people are more typically passionate about things that don't matter 
than they are about the God of the universe. Church, my question is this. Are we passionate about Christ and what he's done, or are we stuck in casual belief? In that path that we move from knowledge to belief, do we get stuck there before we move to passion? Are we stuck in casual belief? We call ourselves believers, but sometimes I wonder, believers of what? That Jesus Christ died so that we could simply be moral people? Do we love coming on a Sunday and hearing about God and knowing about God? Or do we love God and know God? Are we passionate about Him? Today, we're looking at Psalm 19, a psalm of David, who's called a man after God's own heart because of his passion. David's going to show us how to be passionate about displaying the Creator. He's going to show us how to be passionate about the Bible and God's commands. He's going to show us how to be passionate about obedience and passionate about confession, as well as how to be passionate inside and out. The psalm starts out proclaiming God's glory through creation and reminds us to passionately display the Creator. It starts off saying, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at the one end of the heavens, makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Creation itself displays God's glory. Now, do you ever just look up on a clear night? Maybe you've done this while camping or away from the city, or maybe just in a parking lot while walking to your car at night and just remarked at the stars in the sky and the wonders of the universe. I remember I was just 15 years old and my youth group was doing a bike trip across the state of Wisconsin. And one night um, while we were out camping, I remember there was a friend of mine and she was looking up and was looking for the Little Dipper and asked if I could help find it with her. We just stared up into the night. We didn't find it that night. I don't think I've found it since, <laughs> but I've been looking up at the stars ever since. So in fact, just this summer, while I was at, one night at camp, um, I'm walking back to my room, and I just happened to look up and was blown away by the stars. I had to just stop. In fact, I just laid down right there in the middle of the field and just stared up at the stars. Why? Well, I think the answer for us is in verse 2. The night sky is something that speaks to God's glory. I think many of us agree. Paul also reminds us of this in Romans 1 when he says that what may be known about God is plain because God has made it plain. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Paul says it's no surprise. It's no surprise that creation speaks to God's glory. 
consider this. We are the greatest piece of God's creation. In fact, the only thing in all of creation to be given the image of God. We learn this in Genesis 1. Now, if God's glory can be seen simply by looking into the night sky, how much more should his glory be seen through us who bear his image? We must passionately display the Creator. Because there is a world that is in spiritual darkness all around us. The psalm then goes on to remind us to be passionate about the Bible and God's commands. David says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Another translation says, The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Here we see that God's law, his statutes, his precepts, his commands, his ordinances are perfect, trustworthy, right, radiant, clear, sure, and altogether righteous. David tells us that God's law is better than gold and sweeter than honey, but not just any gold, pure gold, and not just any honey, but honey right from the comb. Now, actually, just this last fall, Sharice and I had the opportunity to join with my family in harvesting honey. My uncle and brother-in-law have done honey for the last few years, and this fall they asked if we could help out, and it was quite a process. Um, there's all sorts of things. A flat iron that you use to cut it off of the, of the boards that they get put in the thing. And, and then uh, we would take those boards and we'd try to extract all the honey and we'd put them in this big barrel. And what you do is the barrel has this mechanism that when you pump it, it spins and spins and spins. And it shoots the honey all on the outside of a barrel and it goes down. Well, but when the spinning process happens, the honey kind of flicks everywhere. And so you find yourself full of honey. And of course, what do you do? It was amazing. Oh, is it delicious? It was amazing. God's law isn't just good, it's amazing. Now, if I told you that I could give you the most amazing thing in the world, something better than pure gold, sweeter than honey, something that could save your life and give you God's blessing. Wouldn't you want that? Wouldn't you want to give everything for that? The thing that's so amazing? Now Jesus taught us that the kingdom of heaven is like treasure in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for, for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had, and bought it. Jesus further brings this to life when he taught that man does not live by bread alone, 
but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The word of God gives life. However, pretty sure all of us know the old phrase, you can lead a horse to water, but can't make him drink. God has given us his word, but he does not force us to obey it. The word of God, scripture, offers us an opportunity. An opportunity to embrace it and act on it, or an opportunity to reject it or to neglect it. We see in the psalm that to the recipient, there is the opportunity to receive something positive, something positive to result, or we can infer that there's the opportunity for something negative to result. So to the soul, by being obedient and following Christ's commands, opportunities for the soul to be revived. In rejecting scripture or neglecting it, there's a possibility for the soul to die and to be destroyed. To the simple, the opportunity of obedience to God's law is to become wise. Or that same simple person in disobedience and neglecting God's law is become foolish and stupid. To the heart, the opportunity of obedience is to receive joy. But in rejecting scripture and neglecting God's commands, the opportunity for the heart then is grief and sadness. To the eyes, the opportunity of following Christ, following scripture, following God's commands is to be given light and to see. But in rejecting scripture and neglecting it is to be steeped in darkness and to become blind. And the last one is to the servant. The opportunity of obedience is to receive warning Warning from the pitfalls of life. Warning from the dangers. Warning from Satan's schemes that are out there to trip us up. And there's also the opportunity to receive reward. God's well done. God's blessings in our lives when we're obedient to his commands. But to the servant that rejects and neglects scripture, that rejects and neglects God's commands... That same servant is going to be ignorant of danger. That same servant is going to receive the consequence of sin. We see that God's commands give. They don't take away. We are the recipients, the beneficiaries of good things when we follow God's commands. Therefore, we need to be passionate about obedience. Seeing, script, seeing obedience to scripture, I think in this light, might make it seem like a simple choice. I think when it's put up in a display, oh, sure. However, opportunity is not something that is always easily grabbed. Now think back to the first time you ever asked out a boyfriend or girlfriend. For me, it was Beth Stewart back in the seventh grade. And if you're wondering, she said no. (laughs) 
But think back to your first time that you asked somebody out. There was risk. There was probably a lot of fear. But there's also the fear of missing out. In verse 9, David tells us that the fear of the Lord is pure, that it endures forever. Following God is risky. It can be scary. But it should also come with a healthy dose of fear. A fear of missing out on a relationship with the creator of the universe, who knows you intimately, who wants to speak into your life, and wants to see you succeed in all the ways he's created you to bring him glory. Now, to have this real and obedient relationship, we need a starting place. We need to be passionate about confession, which is a unique one. But David continues in Psalm 19 to say, How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Another version says, don't let them rule over me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. We must come before God in confession. Whether it's unknown sin or if it's deliberate sin, we must bring it before God not only to receive forgiveness and freedom from guilt, but also to move forward in our relationship with him. We need to confess to God directly, as Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer. But we also need to confess to other close believers. And as James lets us know in James 5.16, he says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Now, confession to others, I think, can come in two forms. The first one, I know we're all familiar with. It's when I've sinned against someone else, and I need to ask forgiveness from them. The second, though, speaks towards something we might not be as familiar with, accountability. Now, as Shreese can attest, I am terrible at saying, I'm sorry. Don't know why. I'm probably a guy, and that's probably a failing there. But... I am terrible at saying I'm sorry. But she constantly reminds me of the importance of saying these words. Why? Because it's an act of confession. It's the starting point in moving forward in our relationship. It's also the starting point in moving forward in my relationship with God. Just as Jesus reminds us in the Lord's Prayer again, forgive us our sins as we've forgiven those who've sinned against us. Seeking accountability in our lives is also needed. It's needed in moving forward in our relationship with God. It keeps us from being an island unto ourselves. It keeps us from losing perspective. It keeps us from justifying sinful action. Confession is the beginning process of repentance. And repentance is when we turn from error and sin. By exposing sin to both God and other close believers in our lives, what we're doing is we're fighting against Satan's attempts to let sin 
rule over and control us. It's through confession that we break that, that we expose it. Confession to God, confession to others. Finally, we need to be passionate inside and out. David finishes Psalm 19 by saying, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David reminds us to focus both on the outside, the words of our mouths, and on the inside, the meditation of our hearts, our thoughts. A holistic life of praise is one of obedience and bringing glory to God both inside and out. Now, most of us, I am sure, have heard about this before. The two things you do not talk about in public, politics, and religion. But if you're a true follower of Christ, there is no saying Religion is something that's personal to me. It's something private. Man, I think this especially speaks to us. Often we are afraid to speak. We need to be saying, my relationship with Jesus Christ is something I am passionate about. And I cannot help but proclaim his greatness. I cannot help but talk about him. I can't, I can't help myself. I can't just stand here and be a spectator. I have to be a participant because I am passionate about this. David appropriately finishes his psalm by calling God my rock and my redeemer. The rock. Our sure foundation. Our pillar of support. Our strength. And my redeemer. The one who saves who ransoms us back and who restores our value and our worth. In order, I think, for us even to be passionate about these things, to be passionate about displaying God's glory, to be passionate about obeying his commands, to be passionate about confession, to be passionate about a holistic life of praise, we need our rock our Redeemer. We will require both his strength and his redemption. In Christ's church, this is where we need to go. We need to make certain that these things are things we are passionate about, that we cannot help ourselves but speak because of the things that he has done. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you so much for your word, for your, your revealing of yourself in nature, um, for your um, guidance in teaching us how to live, showing us the, the necessity of confession, showing us just the hope that we can have in your forgiveness, and showing us something that we could be so passionate about. Father, I ask that you open our vocal cords. Open our mouths so that our mouths can't help but praise you. I ask that you would change and renew our minds so that our minds cannot help but dwell on you and push out the garbage. Lord, we want to be passionate for you. And we know it's only in your power, our rock and our redeemer, that we can do it. 
So Lord, lead us in your passion. We pray this in your name. Amen.